Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Living for Food podcast with your host, Olivia Bria. Today on the podcast, we have a great guest coming at you. He's an amazing chef, a season 21 Hell's Kitchen contestant, a chopped finalist, and a successful entrepreneur. And I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Please welcome Chef Sakari Smithwick. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. What do you mean? Of I'm course. Honored. I'm honored. Well, I wanted to talk to you so long ago when you were on Hell's Kitchen, and now I'm pumped. So Let's go. We're going to make it happen. So happy to be here. So Sakari and I actually connected because he saw some of my food and beverage articles and then reached out to me over Instagram because you were promoting an activation at that time. It's funny because I was actually never who into Hell's Kitchen, but because there's just so many like amazing culinary shows that I just couldn't keep up kind of thing. <laughs> so what happened was I had a possible interview opportunity with Gordon Ramsay, and then that ended up falling through. But when I was prepping for like the possibility of it and stuff, I started watching Hell's Kitchen and then my younger sister and I just like didn't stop watching it. Like <laughs> we got so into it. <laughs> So when you reached out to me, I told her and she was like so excited. <laughs> it's addicting. It's an addicting show. I oh, understand yeah. why they have like 21 seasons. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> well, I put it in the background too sometimes when I'm like doing stuff or, or cooking. I love it. <laughs> I love it for sure. So I want to get into your background a little bit. Okay. Background because at the time that we connected, you were promoting a banana pudding recipe that you dedicated to your father, right? Correct. Correct. This is true. Okay. Okay. So what did cooking look like for you growing up? Were your parents good cooks? So, you know, growing up, I was, I was really just a fat kid. I just loved food. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was always mesmerized by like the kitchen contraptions and like Macy's and all those types of stories when I got pulled along as a kid. Um, My grandmother loved watching cooking shows like Food Network, things like that. My dad was a retired police officer, but he actually had a restaurant back in the day, a Southern restaurant, um, okay. which eventually had to close down. So hearing old stories about like, you know, his restaurant, just always being around food, the mystery of it, right? Like my great grandmother, she would cook and it was always like a very secret thing, right? Like the door was closed. We can only come in if we're dressed. Like it, it was a big thing. So mm-hmm. just love food. Um, my grandparents were super like, you know, my grandfather was from Jamaica. So super like, just like pounding, you have to go to school. My grandmother, same thing. You have to go to college, that type of stuff. So I just remember in high school, my teacher, she just like said one day, she was like, you have a natural talent for this or whatever the case is. And she recommended me for advanced cooking classes in high school as a senior. So took that. Then that set me up for college. And I was like, all right, let's go to college and let's just make my family proud. And at the time I was working at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. I was like, McDonald's is going to be my career path. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. The only reason I went to the school was because it was right next door to a McDonald's. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to work at McDonald's. I'm going to go to school. Everybody wins. I get there, I absolutely hate it. I didn't realize that different locations in McDonald's have different standards and all that type of stuff. And 
you know, I went to culinary school and, and that's kind of really where I fell in love with the idea of being a professional chef. Mm-hmm. I took a, like an advanced cooking class and okay. I remember I did terrible. I was like the worst kid there. And I was like, oh my God, I thought I could cook. And then I, I that, that made me realize that like, there's so much more to cooking, right? Like there's efficiency, there's cleanliness, there's creativity, like there's so much layers. So really just put my head down, worked, worked, worked. And, you know, became student chef of the year, won a gold medal with Team USA, graduated, and then like, you know, moved on to work at some really great restaurants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's more of a discipline, honestly, than anything yeah. else. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, think, I think discipline is the key to making anything happen. You know, whatever you want to do, consistency. Like, you can't be consistent without being disciplined in some type of capacity. Right. Where did you go to school? I went to culinary school upstate New York at a SUNY Delhi. So it was a technology school. Oh, and, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was super dope because not only was it culinary students, but there was also like regular students as well. Like when I say regular, like different majors. Mm-hmm. And like it just helped me become more of a people person and just more open up to different things besides just cooking, which I think is important. Absolutely. So you grew up in New York? Yeah, grew up in New York, uh, in Long Island. Uh, lived in the Bronx for a little bit, lived in the Heights, where it's just Washington Heights in a Manhattan for a little bit. Um, okay. moved, out, moved out to Europe after I graduated school, so lived out there for a bit, which was really cool. Was it the Netherlands? I think I was... Wow, I- someone did their research, Olivia. There you go. <laughs> I do. I do my research when I interview people. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I lived, I, I lived in uh, the Netherlands for about a year. Right, right. And you were you cooking there? Was that like a job that you had? Okay. Yeah, so it was always a dream of mine to go to Europe. I, every chef that I ever saw that was successful um, worked in Europe or worked overseas in some type of capacity. So okay. I was working over there, and uh, it was incredible, just life-changing, super incredible. Yeah, yeah. What kind of food stood out to you over there? Was there anything that you learned that you brought to the United States? 100%. So I had no idea of like the Caribbean influence in the Netherlands, right? It's super close uh-huh. to Caraco. And it's also there's a huge Suriname or Surinamese uh, influence there too. So Suriname is like a small island. And they cook a lot of curries and things like that. And I was like, man, this is like home for me. Like, this is crazy. Like people look like me, they're making curry food. Like, what is this? So uh-huh. really tapped into that. And, and now some of the food that I do now is inspired from that, for sure. Oh, amazing. And I think you mentioned on your one of your chopped appearances or, or whatever it was that you are Caribbean as well. But I wanted to know, is there a signature Caribbean dish in your household? Was there like a family go to? Yeah, for sure. So for me, <laughs> my grandmother grew up in North Carolina, right? And okay. uh, grew around farms and all that type of stuff. And I remember one day, I was eating curry that she made. And I was like, I was like, Grandma, this is this is so good. This is this is delicious. And she's like, Yeah, yeah, it's chicken. And I'm like, But it just tastes so good. I come to find out. She tells me years later. She's like, Yeah, you were actually eating goat. And I was like, What goat? And I was like, This is crazy. I had no, you know, I was like, What? I'm eating curry goat. I, I just saw a goat down the road. Like what? Um, that for me, that is like one of my favorite dishes actually now. Uh, just really good curry, really good curry, but curry goat for sure. Okay, interesting. So if someone were to make that at home, would you have any tips for them or anything that stands out? Uh, I would say be patient, right? So like when you're cooking, make sure make sure to be patient. Don't rush it, right? Like 
oxtail, like if you're making a stew or you're making curry, like just really make sure that you, one, I think a tip is to cover the like to cover your protein with the liquid, right? Not too much, because if you cover it too much, then it becomes too watery, but you want a nice, beautiful, dark, thick stew. So I would mm-hmm. say just cover it and I would say just be patient uh, when you're cooking it. Okay. Yeah, definitely good advice. So now that we're talking about cooking tips and tricks, I kind of want to get into that a little bit more. Okay. Um, the banana pudding that I mentioned earlier, what would you say is the key to the perfect banana pudding? I think the key to a perfect banana pudding is the bananas. <laughs> I think Fair? banana. Yeah, I think the bananas are like really, really important. If you have an underripe banana, it does, it tastes very starchy, right? Okay. Um, if you have too ripe of a banana, it might be too sweet. So like having a nice ripe banana where you can still hold the structure that you're looking for, for mm-hmm. each bite, I think is important. And then also using it for different purposes, right? Like using the overripe banana so you're not wasting anything and mixing that into the pudding itself. So now you have a nice, natural, sweet, delicious pudding. Um, but then you also have beautiful ripe bananas in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Is that kind of similar to banana bread? Similar, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I want to get your thoughts on, um, because you grew up in New York, Magnolia Bakery's iconic banana pudding. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I was I was telling one of my friends, I was telling one of my friends for the, uh, that was from the Caribbean. I was like, I'm coming for your head top. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's when I think of Magnolia Bakery, that's what I think. I'll, actually, I'll be very, 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 very honest with you. Okay, good. I, I haven't tried Magnolia Bakery banana pudding. Really? And the reason why is everyone, when I came out with my banana pudding, everyone was like, Sakari, you have to try Magnolia Bake. Like, you have to try it. And I was yeah. like, I don't. And I know the owner, um, Matt Higgins, like, really well as well. Okay. And I just never tried it because I never wanted my palate, it's just from a creative standpoint, I never wanted my palate to taste anything like that. Like, I don't even want to know what it tastes like to mm-hmm. just subconsciously have me adjust things. I was like, I'm just never going to taste it. I'm just going to focus on making the most delicious, healthy version of banana pudding that I can make and then let the cards kind of fall where they go. And then have everyone else tell me that, oh my God, it's better than Magnolia Bakery. Oh my God, this is like Magnolia Bakery, but like healthier, whatever people say. Um, so that, that's that's my stance and that's where I'm at with it. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, because when, when you have it in your head, then you're comparing it and then... Kind of a exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you specialize in pop up restaurants, is that correct? Yeah. So when I came back from Europe, you know, I really just wanted to do my own thing. You know, I could have stayed on Europe for much longer, mm-hmm. and I decided I was like, you know what? I think I was able to really adapt in this environment. Mm-hmm. I believe in myself. I'm confident in myself. Let me just mm-hmm. do my own thing. And what I saw from a lot of chefs was the way to start doing your own thing is pop ups, right? Because you're not cooking for another chef, you're cooking your own food. And even if it's a smaller capacity, even if it's 10, 12, 15, 30 people, whatever, you're mm-hmm. cooking your own food that you're creative on, that you believe in. So that's really why I went down the pop-up route. And um, now we've transitioned from doing fine dining, super duper heavy on that, to doing now the pudding pop-ups, right? So we have one at Essex Market. We have another one coming up, which I can't announce just yet, but it's going to be at a very, very great, great place with, with it's going to be like, it's going to be a lot of people. It's going to be almost a million people, but excited for that. Excited for that. Uh, I've really taken the transition from doing less fine dining pop-ups and more community-based, more uh, 
accessible food just because that's where my my career path I think is going. You know, I still believe in fine dining. I still love fine dining. It's just ever since my dad passed away, I realized mm-hmm. that what can I do? I can cook, right? And I want to make food accessible to everyone. And at these fine dining dinners, a lot of people that come from where I come from can't afford it, don't understand it. So how do we bridge that gap and create something that's accessible, that's allergen free, that everybody can really have? And we kind of just start to start to just build from there. Right, right. And with fine dining, too, I mean, it's like kind of seven course meals that end up being a hundred or so dollars. So, yeah, no, that's definitely makes sense that you're going that route. But I think fine dining, too. I, at least this is what I read, that it's not as much of a trend <laughs> in New York as it once was. And I've seen a lot more pop-up kind of things. So I don't know if that's something you've experienced as well. I think, you know, this year was the first year that no one from New York, I believe, got a James Beard Award, except for like the chef of New York. Um, you know, I think I think it's all about demographics, right? Ever since covid things changed a lot, right? People had time, chefs had time. And as a chef, if you know, like you don't really have a lot of time at all, right? So that changed the perspective. Food waste, what are we doing with our food waste, right? Like how can we feed more people, right? Because people can't go out to can't people can't go out to eat, but people have to work, frontline workers. So I think the 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 reason why that is, is because mm-hmm. ever since COVID, the the paradigm, the perspective kind of changed and we're just trying to figure out ways to feed more people instead of different just social classes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with that, do you have any restaurant recommendations or places that you love to go in the city that people could add to their dining list kind of thing? That may Yeah, is for sure. Ah, okay, 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 okay. I'll give you I'll give you 3. So, okay. I used to work at 11 Madison Park at the time it was the number one restaurant in the world. Nice. I I became really close friends with a chef named Charlie Mitchell and okay. he African-American and really just love fine dining, really talented dude. Mm-hmm. And he became the first chef to win a Michelin star that was African-American um, in New York, which Amazing. is, which is great. Right. Mm-hmm. So his restaurant's called Clover Hill is getting a lot of buzz, uh, really small. The work that he's doing over there is like incredible. Um, okay. So I would recommend that for someone trying to ball, ball out and really have like a anniversary trying to do something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, my favorite restaurant in New York City is Lucali's, which which is like the best pizza in New York City, in my opinion. Um, Interesting. For Mark, yeah, it's BYOB. You can bring your own bottle. You can't make a reservation. You have to sign up with a on handwritten um, on a list. You don't and there's see that a line. Right? Yeah, you don't see that, right? Um, yeah. It's cash only. You <laughs> you have to wait on the line, and then once you wait on the line, you might not get a slot until eight o'clock. You might come in there at four. Now you have four hours to kill. What are you going to do? You're going to walk around the neighborhood. You're going to experience it. You're going to see it. Maybe you go to a bar. Maybe you get cocktails. Then you come back, and then you have the best pizza in New York City of your life. Um, that's really just delicious. So I think Lucali's. And then another one of my friend's restaurants, Dustin, doing some really great stuff at Fish Cheeks. Thai food, affordable, delicious, uh, not too, too spicy. It's just really authentic. He spent some time in Thailand. So I would say Fish Cheeks, Lou Callies, and Clover Hill are my top three. Interesting. Yeah. Whenever I ask someone from New York what the best pizza is, they always go to Joe's Pizza. Oh, God. Nah. I I like like Joe's Pizza. Joe's Pizza is cool. It's it's like a New York slice, you know? 
Um, but everyone, you know, everybody has different preferences. I think New York pizza is great. So it just depends on your preference. For sure. Well, I just moved from Connecticut to LA and there's no good pizza out here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. From CT to LA. Are you enjoying LA? Do you, do you, you having fun? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've been here for about a month now. Oh, wow. You're like fresh, like right off I'm the book. Fresh. Right off. <laughs> <laughs> to the city a lot. Um, and I just kind of wanted to change. I grew up around there. Got you. All that kind of stuff. So. I wanted the sunshine too, um, but <laughs> of course. it's been very overcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on moving to LA. Uh, there's definitely some Thank cool, you. cool people out there, cool places. So that's awesome. Thank you for sure. Yeah, if you're ever out here, let me know. Gotcha. So I wanted to get into one more cooking tip because actually the taco scene in LA is kind of what it's known for. So during your time in Hell's Kitchen, you made a Caribbean inspired taco for Danny Trejo. Yeah. Is there a taco ingredient that you think is just completely underrated? Like a protein or just anything? Like uh, go for protein. Yeah. I so I had the I had the pleasure of cooking for this amazing artist named Jindana. Um if you ever heard the song I'm a classic man. And um, Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's from Nigeria and I had to make a menu based off of his like entire life. And he spent a lot of time in LA. So he, so when I was making up the menu, I was like, man, I need to come up with a taco because LA is known for the tacos. He was telling me like, man, I just had the best tacos. So I, mm-hmm. I ended up making a, it was a curry goat and oxtail taco. So I think, I think oxtail in a taco needs to be had, like needs to happen more often. Um, some mm-hmm. people do, but I think, I think that would be an underrated, underrated ingredient. Like oxtails, like braised oxtails in a taco. Like what? Incredible. Yeah. No, that is interesting. I've seen a lot of like meat substitutes as well, like jackfruit, things like that too. Yep. Mushrooms. Love mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. So I want to get into your television experiences a little bit deeper. You know, got to get the culinary tea a little bit. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, nothing too crazy, but... So you started out as a McDonald's grill cook and then grew into success. You even got a Michelin star when you were young. Was there anything you learned from being a grill cook in fast food that helped you compete in these cooking competition shows? 100%. I think the importance of a smile, right? Like McDonald's Mm -hmm. is to me one of the best fast food restaurants in the world, right? Like, they have, they, I think they own the most real mm-hmm. estate in the world or something like that. McDonald's. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. That. So they, they're they known for, like, their systems, right? So they create systems. And I remember I was getting trained, and, and like, just one thing that they hammer in you over and over is just a smile, right? And I think a smile warms mm-hmm. up people to you. And I think when you're on these television shows and things like that, I think just moving with grace is really, really important, right? Like TV is its own world, right? Like, so you're, cause you're doing all these takes for hours and hours and, you know, you have to be able to continue to smile and just communicate with people and, and just be hospitable. And, and those are all things that I learned, you know, day one of working at McDonald's, right? Like, how can I take your order? Like, like how can I help, you know? Yeah. So like, I think those are really important, just being hospitable to everybody, treating everybody with respect. Um, but I mean, I had, I had, I had an incredible time 
um, on TV. And I was on Farmhouse Rules, uh, which back in the day, I think when I graduated college, that was my first like TV appearance. Mm -hmm. And and what what I equivalent that to is like when you see all these like mainstream actors start off in like commercials or start off in like these little small roles and things like that. I, I was like, oh, this is this is going to be great to look back on 20 years from now when like I'm doing major stuff. But like this is like your first time seeing right. me. So I did that, went on Food Network's Chopped, uh, made it to the final round, and then and then obviously House Kitchen. So uh, TV is definitely something I want to do more of and and continue the the trend, continue the the bandwagon going. You know, keep it going. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask, would there be any cooking competition shows in the future? But I guess you kind of answered that. <laughs> yeah, what cooking competition shows? Maybe, maybe not. But but in a different in a different way. Like we have some stuff working behind the scenes. So you'll definitely see my face for sure. Amazing. Amazing. I'm not familiar with farmhouse rules. Is that still airing? Is that I think it's not sure. airing anymore. No, it's, it was okay. just a, it was like a, I, I don't want to go too much into it, but it was, it yeah. was a, like a Southern, <laughs> Southern woman uh, cooking, cooking good food and things like that. And she invited us to her house upstate New York. And uh, we were oh. celebrating the winning of when we won the gold medal in college. So which was cool. Oh, wow. Super cool. Um, so you made it to seventh place as well, which is a really big accomplishment, especially in a kitchen described as hell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> looking back, is there anything that you would change or do differently? No, I'm very, I'm very spiritual. Like, there's so many people mm-hmm. that like, Sakar, like I was in the Puerto Rican Day Parade like, a couple of days ago, and this random guy was like calling me over, and I'm like, like what's going on? And he's like, you cooked your ass off. I was like, what? He's like, you cooked your ass off in that show. And I was like, uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, like. He's not wrong. I mean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I appreciate, you know, some people, you know, some people are like, man, you should have made it further. Man, I thought you were going to win, whatever the case is. But I'm very, very spiritual. I think you are where you're right supposed to be. You know, mm-hmm. everything happens for a reason if you don't, even if you don't realize it at that moment. So. I'm happy that I was able just to cook out my heart. I don't really, you know, obviously I wanted to win, but seventh place, eighth place, 11th place, fifth place, like it's either you winning or you, or you lost in my mind. And then it's just about how, how, how hard did you compete? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of agree with that. Whatever comes is supposed to come kind of deal, but to even get on the show is an accomplishment in itself. And a lot of people strive to just have that goal in general but you were part of the finale too yep yep yeah <laughs> yeah for sure i i never even watched hell's kitchen before you know the casting reached out to me um they just okay they they saw my instagram they saw me doing content and they reached out and was like would you like to be on the show and i was like i never really watched it and you know i, I was like sure you know maybe this could be good for my career and I'm so happy that I did it. I'm so happy that I did it, not for the brand exposure per se or the platform, which is amazing and incredible, but I just think for the friends and for the experience, you learn so much about yourself as an individual because you are going through hell. And then you meet you meet individuals that whether their skill set is different than yours or whether their background is different than yours, everybody has a love for food there in some type of way, you know? And it was just refreshing to be around. Absolutely. I didn't know that they reach out to you. Is that how kind of how the process works? No. So sometimes people have to apply. Like some people applied multiple times. Some people okay. saw it scrolling, and, you know, and then some people got reached out to. Um, That's amazing. It's just part of yeah. <laughs> part of the thing. I, I, 
I always, I always think that, I don't know, my path is like, just work really hard, put your head down. And then I think the right opportunities will come to you from the right people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely agree. Do you keep in touch with any of the contestants since you guys were so close? And- 100%. Um, we have like a little group chat, which is pretty cool. So we're touching base on like, you know, different career paths, like like different jobs that maybe we've gotten and stuff like that. So uh, really cool with everyone. I think I think it's just cool to be able to just pick up my phone and be able to call any one of them and, and know that like they'll answer, they'll get back to me and with anything. So uh, definitely cool mm-hmm. with, with a majority of them for sure. I know. I've seen Alex below buzzing around my um, social media. <laughs> he's like, he's doing well, which he yeah. earned it. Yeah, for sure. I love Alex, man. Alex is a, a really great chef and a really great person. And we had a little beef at first <laughs> in the oh. show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was, he was, he was picking on me. Alex, you were picking on me. Um, but it was after I beat him, though, which was that's why. But. <laughs> It, it it's all fun and games man you know like it, it was a really great time and and um it's just cool to be around talented individuals mm-hmm. i'm trying to recall were you both were you were on the blue team right uh i was on the red team at first oh the red team at first and then he was on the other one correct yep yep yep, yep. okay okay got it was he the one that you looked at and were like that's your, my competition right there <laughs> mm think so i mean it wasn't until i didn't realize it until i think i didn't realize until we were going face to face with our with our dishes and it was like super duper close he had the best dish i had the best dish and then we were like and then when i get back into the room he's just like oyster fat like that's not oyster fat like what is that um i was just like man this guy like what 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 did i at that moment i was just like what did i get myself into i was like (laughs) I was like, man, there's so many different people, so many different personalities. Uh, but, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think everybody was a piece of competition. I think Alejandro, you know, Daphne came through, you know, like, yeah, yeah every, you know, Cheyenne could cook her ass off, Summer. Like, I think everyone really, Vlad was coming from my head top. Uh, everybody mm-hmm. really was, was really competitive. So I can see why everyone made yeah. it to the show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the pressure, your personalities come through when the pressure's on, so. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. What would your advice be for budding chefs that dream about going on a reality competition cooking show, but not, aren't necessarily confident in their skills or don't think that it's within their grasp? Well, I think you have to do the work, right? Like, I think the mm-hmm. only way that you build confidence is by doing something over and over and over and over again, right? Like, so the only way you'll be able to, you'll be confident cutting potatoes if you did it a thousand times, right? So I think really working on your skills, your your yourself, work on you, right? Look to people that you inspire to be, follow a similar path, right? Like if you look at Gordon, like before he did any TV, he like put his head down and worked for really great chefs. I think that's that's the answer. Put your head down, work for really great chefs, work on your craft, ask for advice. Um, and then over time, you'll build confidence within yourself and then you'll feel comfortable to do the next step, which is put out content, build your brand, right? Whether that's TikToks nowadays, you know, I was, I was having a conversation with one of my chef friends. We were talking about the, the evolution or the transitions of, you know, the TV chef, right? Like at first it was about like, you know, a television network had to see something in you and you had to be the highlighted person, right? And then it transitioned into making long form content on YouTube and doing it yourself and then being discovered from that way or 
being discovered from a network show and, and going through audition and like the guy Fieri's and, and stuff like that. Now you're, if you make videos on TikTok every day, three times a day for the next year or two years, like maybe something good will happen, you know, and people will know your face. And now you're the guy that does so-and-so. So I think it's just really fascinating how things have changed. And I think the technology has given anybody the opportunity to, to make something happen. So it's like a huge, yeah. huge opportunity. No, I agree too. And I always see people looking for casting calls on TikTok too. And then people make videos um, in response to that. But it's almost tough too with all the social of it all because posting three times a day sounds super easy. But when you're trying to plan it out, it's right. just like a lot. You're also trying to build your career and show your right. skills on the side. Right. It's so a lot. it's a lot. I'm like four and also, you know, there's cons, pros and cons, everything. Yeah. But I think, I mean, look at you, what you're doing right now. Look at what we're doing right now. We're, we're on your podcast. Yeah. You know, your show. <laughs> Uh, you're doing your own thing. Like, that's incredible, right? So, like, people should look at you to, to see the confidence and things like that. Like, just do it. Just try, you know? Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to do something for sure through my own brand because I love the media field, but, you know, I'm sick of getting approval. I wanted to kind of, like, right. do yeah. my own thing. I wanted to talk to people that I wanted to talk to, you know? Right. And you're one of them. <laughs> so. I appreciate it. And kudos to you for, for making that big jump and making that big step, right? Like, it's it's not easy. So happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's nerve-wracking, but <laughs> fingers crossed. If you're listening to this, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so you mentioned Gordon before, and I was wondering if there was a piece of advice that you learned from him during your time on the show, either a cooking tip or a general life advice that yeah, you still take? Yeah, I, I learned so much in such a short amount of time from mm -hmm. him and from for everyone and so on. I think, you know, what's crazy about the show is like, yeah, it's TV, but like he made it his business. I don't know if it was when they were sculpting up the show or if it was just his personal endeavors, but like he made it his mm -hmm. business to try to teach you stuff, right? So right. like, it was like one of the first challenges, like, learning about how to like break down a lobster that way never saw that done right the first lesson was just like the first lesson the first episode was him going through like a bulldozer right like with the truck or whatever case is jumping through and he gets mm -hmm. out and he's like never let anything get in your way and then constantly mm -hmm. constantly constantly that's hammered over your head and while you're in the show you're competing you're like yo don't let anything get in your way like don't let anything get in your way and you really start to believe it so I think that was a huge lesson, right? Don't let anything get in your way. And also, too, I think his humanism, the humanity that he showed when he made a mistake, because everybody's quote unquote scared of Gordon, right? Like, oh my God, he's going to yell at me. But right. the, the composure that he showed when you made a mistake and you owned up to it was something mm -hmm. that I think I'll teach my kids one day or like I, I learned, which was like, if you make a mistake, mm -hmm. own it. Because it's okay to make a mistake because we're all human. So he never mm -hmm. demonized, he never demonized you making a mistake. It was when you did it over mm -hmm. and over and over and over again, that's when he demonized it. But if you make mm -hmm. a mistake, it's totally fine as long as you own up to it, admit it, like that bravery, that confidence to say, hey, listen, Gordon, hey, I messed up. I need five more minutes on my fish because it's not ready. You know, like that mm -hmm. I think was a huge lesson in itself. And I think it's something I took with me and I'm probably going to take with me for the rest of my life. And then once you make the mistake once and remedy that, I'm sure he respects it as well. 100%. 100%.
I saw something, um, and credit to whoever said this, but someone said, be delusional in your career. And that's something I think about all the time because I'm like, oh, this is too far out of my reach or, or I can't do this or I can't do that. And then I'm like, no, but being delusional gets you where you want to go. You know, I think what my mind goes is like dream delusion is dream, right? Like I, I live constantly in the future. I just constantly dream. It's because dreams are free. It costs nothing mm-hmm. at all to dream. You can literally, like, and so like, if dreams are free, why wouldn't you want to dream big, right? It's not, mm-hmm. I don't even want to use the word delusional. It's just like, why wouldn't you, if you close your eyes right now and you picture your life or you picture your future, why wouldn't it be as big as you want it to be? right? With whatever that means to you, with a family, with a house, a mansion, with buying your mama house, whatever's important to you. Like, why wouldn't it be big? Because, and, and, and that's the beautiful, the beautifulness of dreaming. And that's why I really believe in dreaming. So I, uh, I constantly close my eyes and, and put myself in the future. And then going back to your, your original question, which was like about confidence and stuff like that. When you yeah. close your eyes and you dream as big as you want, and then you open your eyes and then years go by and then you actually have your dreams happen. Well, now, mm-hmm. now you started a fire, like a wildfire. Like a <laughs> now you started something that like is incredible because cause now you're like, this is dangerous. Like if I just close mm-hmm. my eyes and, and I manifested it and it's happened, like I could do anything. And so that's, right. where I'm, that's where I'm at, which is like, I think I could do anything because I've closed my eyes, I've dreamed, and then some of my dreams that I've had have came true. So I'm just going to keep dreaming. I'm just going to keep dreaming. You know, manifesting works. 100%. (laughs) It totally does. This week, I talked about this yesterday with my mother. We, she manifested something for me, and it totally worked. And to anyone who doesn't think it does, just try it. Yeah. You have to to say it. You have to actually, like, whatever it is, like, you have to actually put it out and say it. you have to write it down it's because that's mm-hmm. the first step like your 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 body is everything works together your brain your your muscles mm-hmm. everything so like just that first step of saying like i will win house kitchen just that step mm-hmm. that's the first step to actually win it and maybe it will happen maybe it won't but that's the first step so you have to say it. you have to say your dreams you have to put them out there and and nobody else will know your dreams unless you put it out there you know like right. the best way to get your dreams on the road or the trajectory is by saying it on stuff like here, right? Like on podcasts, on interviews, on social media, whatever, put it out there. Like that's the first step. I saw Jim Carrey said in an interview that he wrote out a $10 million check or $5 million, whatever the amount was. (laughs) And he like put it on his fridge (laughs) and he was five years. I'm going to make that much money. And then in a movie and he got that deal i love that i love stuff like that i loved it so much and i was like i would love it, to make 10 million dollars also right. but it's it's probably you know it, it was probably in the back of his head he's like man I, I i wrote that check i gotta make it happen you know like it's a constant reminder so it's definitely the right right direction yeah for sure so now that we're talking about dreams and what you're achieving Tell the people what you're working on now. I know you're the founder of Noble Promise Studios, Smith, yep. with, Smith with Provisions. I'll correct that. <laughs> you got it. You did it great. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, yeah, for sure. So what's next? What's in the future? Things like that. 
you know, my name, Sakari, means noble promise, which means you have a promise in the future you keep to your word. Going back to okay. going back to the whole Jim Carrey thing, like the only reason I think I've been able to accomplish anything is because of mm-hmm. my name, Noble Promise. Like to me, it means you're promising future you keep to your word. So anytime like things got hard, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta do it. I gotta keep to my word. I gotta keep to my word. I gotta do it. I gotta do it. So for me, what's next? Changing the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like changing the world. For me, what I'm fascinated by right now is being able to provide nutritious and delicious food for all types of people, for everyone. I was going to say one banana pudding at a time. One banana pudding at a time. One banana at a time. Uh, for every banana pudding okay. that we sell, we actually give away a banana as well, and oh, okay. which is pretty cool. And um, for me, it's just like really digging deep into who I am and, and understand. I didn't even know the word food insecurity. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Um, until somebody mm-hmm. more educated than me told me like, Hey, what you're talking about is food insecurity. And then I did this whole research and I was like, Oh my God, like, that's me. Like, what? This is crazy. I think providing mm-hmm. more nutritious foods and food deserts, right? Like what I have coming up next is, uh, on Juneteenth or on, on Sunday, actually, this is my first father's day without my father. And we decided to mm-hmm. celebrate him and his life and other fathers by creating an annual event called, uh, feed the fathers. So huge, huge shout out to cash, which is our sponsor. Uh, we partner with a nonprofit called food with fam. Um, we'll be at, Mm -hmm. we'll be in Bed-Stuy, which is like a food desert, right? Which is like, there's not a lot of grocery stores that's providing nutritious food at an affordable price. Right. So we'll be actually taking food from local farms and providing it for fathers, for people in need in the community. And, um, I'll be providing a, a hot meal as well, which is pretty cool. And we'll be giving away clothes. We'll be giving away groceries. We'll be giving away free haircuts from a local barbershop as well. So, because everything, it, 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 it connects, right? Like how you feel, what you eat inside your body, you have to feel good. So this, this act, I think, is the direction of which I want to go, which is just like really making a change um, in our communities. So, yeah, that, that's what's next. That, that all starts with Smith & Provisions, which is my provisions company. Um, Noble mm-hmm. Promise Studios is my media concept, which is what I call it is like my storytelling machine, right? Where I do my podcast or I do my content or I do this or that, uh, just to be mm-hmm. able to amplify the message because I think it's very important, right? So, but mm-hmm. I think I look at my banana as, you know, what I told Gary was like, this is my mixtape, you know, <laughs> this is someone, someone meets you, yo, you're a rapper. Well, let me hear something. Yo, you're a chef. Well, let me taste something. Well, yo, here you go. This is it. Mm-hmm. And oh, well, I'm a vegan. No problem. Oh, you're allergic to peanuts? No problem. Or you, you, you're allergic to gluten? No problem. Like, it's just something that everyone can have. And I think it's the first step into fighting food insecurity, making food more accessible to everyone, and just really bridging the gap between social classes. Congratulations on that. That's really commendable, oh, for sure. I've seen a lot more on sustainability and supporting local farms and things like that. I know one chef. Naisha Arrington, yep. I spoke to her about that as well. So she's really known for that. Yep. And obviously you're making yourself known for that too. But that's kind of tough to do to kind of push the, I guess, the path yeah. kind of thing. I mean, anything <laughs> worth it is always tough, right? But mm-hmm. I think it's definitely possible, right? Like there's so much food waste. There's so much food. Like why is food hunger a thing, you know? I'm, right. I remember when I, was, when I was coming up as a chef, there, one of the chefs was like, if you're a chef, you're never going to have to worry about being hungry. 
Like you might you might not make mm-hmm. it rich, you might not become rich, but you're like you you'll be good. Like you won't have to worry about being hungry. And I thought about that, you know. And uh, I just want to be able to to help people do that as well, you know, not be hungry. Yeah, well, congrats. I'm sure your father would be really proud of you too, and all that you've been doing and accomplishing. So. Well, appreciate it. So I have two little segments for you for okay. kind of a fun game. Okay. If you're into it. I'm into it. Let's All right, do it. cool. Cool. So it's kind of a bit of a lightning round. I'm going to name five popular food trends right now, and you're going to tell me if you're for or against or smash or pass kind of deal. Okay. Gotcha. Let's do it. All right, cool. Spicy rigatoni. Pass. I'll tell you why. Spicy food. Okay. I like spicy food. But if it's too spicy, it like, it mess. I don't know. I can't taste it as much as I want to. And I can't keep going for that second bite. Fair. Butterboards. What's, what's butterboards? What is that? Oh, like butter. Like, oh, actual the butter. Uh, yeah. So that's I, I remember. Yep, I saw it. Yeah. I saw it. Uh, I will say past butterboards, but smash cookie butterboards. Like, like the cookie butter. If you ever had cookie butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can like do different cookie butters, Nutella, like that type of stuff for dessert. I'm for that, but like the butter board, okay. no. Yeah, I'm against butter boards as well, but I might do a cookie butter board for my next party. <laughs> Let's go. All right, tin fish. Tin fish, smash. Yeah, like tin fish. Smash. I love it. So good. Do you put in a lot of your recipes? I like tuna fish, which is healthy for you on this like new healthy journey. But then also sardines are like delicious. I also think like whenever I think about preservation of fish, I think of like Jose Andreas, some of the techniques that he uses. I think of, I think of slavery times, right? Like when we didn't have refrigeration, like we had to preserve Mm -hmm. everything we had. I think of salt fish. I think of all that type of stuff. So I'm 100% for it. I love it. I think it's delicious. I think it adds umami and an amazing flavor to all your dishes. I know a lot of the chefs I've been speaking to lately too have been incorporating it into pastas and all this good stuff. Caesar dressing. There you go. Number four. Plant-based cuisines like vegan ice creams, meat-free burgers, etc. This is tough. I, this is very, very tough. I, I, if there was a middle button, I, I would say like middle. Like, okay, we'll do middle. Like whatever's in the middle. <laughs> I'm for vegan. I'm for plant-based food. I'm for plants. Okay. I'm for whole foods. I'm for clean foods. I am not for processed vegan foods, processed foods that are plant-based, that are using different ingredients that like are making it taste like something else. That's not my gym. Like a fast food vegan restaurant, that's not my gym. But I am for using a a mushroom burger, but we're using a beautiful mushroom, you know, and we're we're, we're keeping foods the way they're supposed to be intended to eat. So... Mm-hmm. That's where my stance is. It's like half and half. Okay. I know Kevin Hart just opened a plant-based fast food, yep. something around yep. here, and I'm curious. You should try I it. I looked into it. You should try it. I love Kevin Hart. I, uh, you know, it's not my jam per se, but like, I'm sure it tastes good and, and I love Kevin, so I can't. Well, a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Who doesn't? Honestly. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's the importance of brand, I, I, like a lesson for everyone right there. Right. Like, even if it's not your jam, I just told you to still go even though it's not my thing i still told you to go because kevin's like a nice guy right like that's that's the importance of brand right like if you like kevin you're gonna go support his thing 
right? <laughs> Even if you're not like, yeah. ah, whatever. So I think that was really interesting. That's that's true. Well, a lot of plant-based stuff too has all the chemicals. Yeah, it's not much in it. All right, last one. Okay. Non-alcoholic cocktails. I'm so for it. I think, I think like, I drink, yeah, but like, I, I think like the ability to not feel weird when you're out with your friends and be able to feel included, mm-hmm. but you don't have to drink because you have to work the next day or you like whatever. A mocktail. I'm like mm-hmm. so fascinated by that because it makes the experience that you're going out just that much better. You know, it's almost the placebo effect. Yeah, you're not drinking, but you feel like you are. <laughs> Period. There you go. <laughs> it's 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 like anytime I don't drink and I go out. Like sometimes I rem- I remember I went out to my friend's birthday. I didn't want to drink, and I was like, "Hey, do you have tea?" He, and he was just like, "What are you talking about right now? Tea? Like you're drinking tea? Like what?" And I'm just like, "I don't want to drink." So I had to drink tea because like it calms me and like just want to enjoy the company, whatever. So I think if I had a mocktail. It won't be that weird interaction of like, you're not drinking? What? It's like, no, I'm drinking the, the watermelon margarita right here. It's delicious. Like questions it and then it gets awkward. It's like what? And you have to have co- yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird. I love it too, because the trend is making media events start to offer them. So I always offer that. And I'm like, yeah, it's so good, but I'm not actually drinking. <laughs> if if I could start a new business right now, I would try to start a mocktail business. I would be like all right, you said it here. I said, if I was like, let me do something new, I would package up. I would do some cool liqueurs, like some strawberry liqueur, like just cool stuff. It doesn't go bad. Okay. You can make your own mocktail at home. I, I think it's I think it's the next thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think so, too. I'm for it. All right, I have my final question for you. Wrap up the whole podcast. I'm going to ask every guest. Bam. If there is one cooking utensil, product, or appliance that you think everyone should splurge on, what would it be and why? <laughs> a hex clad pan. Let's go. <laughs> Shout out hex clad. Um, yeah, I think a pan, like a hex clad pan, is nonstick, super easy to clean. Conductor is non-toxic, non-stick. The reason, the reason why I go that route, besides my relationship with Hexclad and using it in our kitchen and stuff, is because you said splurge. Mm. So it is expensive. Yes. So I was like, all right, I would mm. splurge on, on Hexclad for sure. Yeah, I know. That's the thing with chefs right now. Hexclad's everywhere. Yeah. Or or just a good knife, too. Uh, my favorite knife is Takamoru, which is like a professional like Japanese kitchen knife. Any type of Japanese knife I love, I would say a nice, like a good knife. Because if you have a dull knife, it slips, and you cut yourself, then... Womp, womp, womp. Yeah. No good. Because I just moved. I don't have a lot of nicer things right now. So I've done that several times. But you have <laughs> peace. You have peace. You have a new environment. You can explore. That's true. I'm decorating. There you go. Next podcast, hopefully I'll have something in the back of me that's artwork. <laughs> it's all in the journey. It's all in the process. You're going to be able to look back at this and be like, oh, my God. And then see see all the amazing guests that you have. And I can't wait to see this thing just unfold. So. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm honored that you came on. You're my first guest. I'm number one. Let's go. If there was a round of applause uh, effect right here, boom. There we go. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Um, Can't wait to see where this goes. Uh, You always have my support. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, yeah, anyone listening, follow me and um, follow my journey. And follow follow Olivia and her journey because it's going to be incredible. 
Hey, fellow foodies. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave me a review. And while you're at it, make sure to follow me at Living for Food Pod on Instagram or TikTok or email me at livingforfoodpod at gmail.com. Let me know what you're cooking up this week, which guests you would like to see on the podcast, or tell me your opinions on the latest viral food trend. In the meantime, you can follow our guest of the week, Sakari Smithwick, on Instagram at Sakari Smithwick. Until next time.